Unlimited. Um, Hello, everybody. Welcome. This is Unlimited, where we interview people whose consciousness and their lives and their work is reaching an unlimited place where it's inspiring us all around the world. Today, we have Daryl Anka, otherwise known as the channeler of Bashar, and he's going to be talking about his brand new passion project in Los Angeles. He's building an escape room. So his movie career is being put to good use. I wanted to introduce Alan. He's part of our core team here in the research and development at LightNet. And I'm so grateful to be broadcasting with you today and in your life and doing the incredible off-planet database that we're working on. So welcome, Alan. Thank you. And Daryl is an old friend. I, I brought Daryl and Bashar to New York three times. He actually has a beautiful chapter in my book, Making Contact. I think that's called Making ET Contact. He's had a relationship with this extraterrestrial named Bashar for how many? Is it 30? 40, 40 years. 40-year anniversary there. But He's also a filmmaker, he's a designer, he's an illustrator, but his latest passion is, I would say, not creating environments, Daryl. You are taking your creativity and challenging people to um, understand the world around them in a different way. That's sort of how we put it in escape room. What drove you to really take on this? Because you're doing something so creative and creating people's own world. Can you talk about that? Sure. Um, I mean, I've been in the film industry now since 1977. So I started with <laughs> doing miniatures and sets and storyboards and things like that. And eventually, uh, as you mentioned, my wife, Erica, and I started a film production company and we've made three independent films. Well, what we quickly learned uh, about the film business, the business side of it, is that small independent films rarely make any money. And so we looked around for something a little bit more lucrative to do. We still wanted to stay in the creative arena. <laughs> and we finally kind of thought, well, you know, haunted houses are popular every year and things like that, but we wanted something that would be around all year long and wasn't just seasonal. And so we kind of learned about escape rooms and we started investigating what those were and realized that uh, it's a growing entertainment business that is relatively new. I think it sort of started in 2012 and now there's thousands around the world, but probably they still haven't tapped into more than about five or 10% of the market, but it's, it allows us to express our creativity in a way that's similar to film and uses our skill sets of building sets and telling stories, but it's more immersive. It's, it's more live. The people are in the movie now. The customers actually get to act out as characters on an adventure. Most escape rooms now are not so much about escaping the room within a certain amount of time, but it's more now about uh, completing a mission or going on a, a task and, and, and you know, you still have a limited amount of time to do so, but you're not like trying to rush to get out. You're really focused on solving the clues and the puzzles and building teamwork and communicating with your team members. And it's a fully, it's a much more fully immersive experience now that really takes you out of your world, puts you in a different world 
and allows you to experience things that you otherwise normally on a day-to-day -day basis couldn't experience. So we're very excited to join the uh, growing number of people that have escape rooms. Uh, it's an interesting community, a fascinating community, and we're happy to be a part of it. Why did you choose the name, to, uh, The Keys of Destiny? Yeah, The Keys. Well, the, the company name is Boggled, uh, but because we, we're going to make mind-boggling adventures, but The Key of Destiny is the first adventure. It's sort of based on <clears throat> Egyptian folklore and Egyptian mythology, although it's not exactly like you're going to ancient Egypt. Uh, the basic idea behind it is that as you come in, you're a team of explorers, but one of your newest members has kind of gone off the rails a little bit and opened up a forbidden artifact, the key of destiny that she shouldn't have opened. And that caused the Egyptian god Set to appear, and he immediately whisked her away into an alternate reality. Your task as the rest of the explorers is to solve the same challenges that she was made to face by the god set and go through three different chambers to find her and return the key of destiny before our reality alters forever. So it's kind of a hybrid mix of ancient Egypt and modern things um, in what we hope will be an exciting and interesting adventure for people. So exciting. So just basic, basic um, understanding of, of escape room. So about four or five people go in. I mean, and for how long and they lock the door and they don't let them out. Is that talk about that basic yeah. escape rooms don't really lock doors anymore. You can, if you actually have to leave, you can leave anytime you want, although that would end the game, but yeah, it's, it's about going through an experience an immersive experience. You usually have about an hour. Some escape rooms are an hour and a half or even longer, depending upon the adventure. Um, but you're basically trying to get from one chamber to another to another, depending on how many chambers any particular adventure may have. Uh, and it's, yeah, usually maybe about four to six people. There are escape rooms that allow larger groups, um, but usually it's at least two because uh, most escape rooms have puzzles and clues that are really not easily solvable by only a single person. So again, it's all about, you know, bonding. It's about teamwork. A lot of companies actually use escape rooms for team building and problem solving exercises because they have even seen that whoever of their employees uh, is the one that maybe is better at solving this kind of a, a challenge or that kind of a challenge. They actually understand how to place them better in their own company uh, and take advantage of that person's uh, innate skills. So there's a lot of ways that escape rooms are used, but they're primarily an adventure that gets you out of this world for a while and really strengthens your problem solving capabilities that you can bring back into your daily life. I have one so, more question. One okay. More, I just have one more question for Daryl then. Um, can you talk about your process in creating this the creativity factor and what you learned by this and how much from your work with Bashar did it influence what you're doing? Um, the only thing about the work with Bashar that influenced this is just to follow your passion, really. It's his main principle. I have always kind of gravitated to things that I'm interested in and passionate about. Um, so in that sense, I was very driven to just go ahead when I got excited about doing an escape room. 
But then, you know, my experience uh, for, you know, more than three decades in the film industry gave me the skills to build the sets, build the puzzles. Uh, you know, uh, my wife and I have created the environments, uh, painted everything. So it's, I, I've always been fascinated by immersive environments because I know that if you can get somebody out of their surroundings and put them in what seems to be a realistic new surrounding, their brain starts working differently. And I'm just fascinated by what people pick up, how different people approach things. We, we're getting in a crash course in psychology, just watching our beta testers and how different everyone is about how they approach the same puzzle. So we, we are learning a lot just even about human nature, about human learning, uh, and trying to improve our experience to make it the best experience possible for everyone. We hope to be opening sometime in mid-April here in Los Angeles. That's Beautiful. so exciting. That's one of the things we've really been experimenting in LightNet is this collective consciousness that starts to happen both with intention and intelligence in small groups of eight to 12. We've just launched our season four labs um, on lightnet.org. Alan's gonna be doing remote viewing. We've got waking lucid dreaming this session and all sorts of incredible things. So before we move on from the escape room, you know, oftentimes you'll see a movie that's been a, a story that's been redone or an opera, and they always pick something that's poignant uh, and metaphorical. So your story is about opening Pandora's box and in, in this dimensional reality. Do you think we've passed a point of no return? And how do you understand it in this way? Yeah, the, the basic underlying theme of our first adventure is transformation. It's all about facing your fears. It's all about letting go of them. It's about transforming yourself into your best self because the whole idea is that this, this team member uh, starts out with a lack of confidence basically and through the challenges knows that she actually does have the ability to uh, transform herself, to be more confident, to uh, express her skills. And we hope that the people going through this will sort of see that theme and feel a little bit more confident about their own abilities. Because a lot of times, especially if someone is new to escape rooms, one of the first things we always hear is, oh God, you know, I might be too stupid to do this. I, I don't understand what's going on. And we try to encourage them to understand that the reason you're here with a team is that everyone has a different skill. Everyone has a different perspective and a different way of looking at things. And that one of the vital things that escape rooms do is get you to look at something in a different way. We even have a quote in there that, you know, discovery is all about seeing something that everyone else sees, but you're looking at it in a different way. So we hope that people will sort of take that to heart and through the, through the experience of the escape room, uh, gain a little bit more confidence that whatever, you know, puzzles in life come their way, they may actually be able to shift their perspective in a manner that allows them to really solve the problems, deal with it, and know that, you know, everyone is smart in their own way if you just bring that knowledge to bear and look at things, uh, you know, like you say, think out of the box a little bit, that, you know, nothing is unsolvable, especially if you have a team to work with. How is so that? True. So I was Are just you... going to say that Alan has some more questions. And we also want to bring out Coffee Rain. Uh, Alan, do you want to interject before I come back to you? 
Those of you who are watching, if you want to get into the Zoom room, you can go to lightnet.org slash unlimited. We're going to be talking about time travel, levitation. We're going to be talking about timelines. Alan even wants to bring up AI. So if yeah. you have a question too, you can come back. Hey, Alan. Carol, how was that for you, finding the puzzles? Like, how did you find what would be challenging? What did you do? Like, where'd you get your puzzles from? Where, where did that come to you? How did that come? We're going to do this. And, and what was that process? Well, since it all begins with the idea of how do you get out of this room into the next room, it sort of starts as a foundation of, you know, we need the people to sort of spend about, since we have three chambers and you're supposed to be out in about an hour, they need to spend about 20 minutes in each chamber if they're moving and flowing through the whole thing properly. So it's about kind of thinking, I mean, I've, I've been familiar with different ideas of, of puzzles. There are different approaches to puzzles. And we did a lot of research. We, we went to a lot of escape rooms to understand how they figured out what it is they need to do to either slow you down or speed you up. So we got the basic principle through experience first, but then we knew we had to come up with unique ideas, unique puzzles, so that people coming in wouldn't say, oh, you know, I went to that other escape room and this is exactly like it. So we had to use our own creative skills to think outside the box and go, how can we alter this? How can we change this principle, this concept into something that people haven't really seen before? And of course, doing a, a thematic environment might give you a little bit of edge. Like for instance, a lot of escape rooms use electronics to move you through. We tried, because our theme is sort of more ancient Egypt, we tried to do everything mechanically in the way that an ancient civilization might try to do the puzzles if they didn't have access to electronics. So we had to really explore like some engineering concepts. How do things work? In, you know, how did things work in the old days in the 1800s? How did they get something to happen mechanically as opposed to electronically? And that started inspiring us to go, oh, you know, we can do this, we can do that. Uh, and it's just kind of all about letting your imagination run wild. And there's a lot of, you come up with a lot of concepts and you throw half of them out uh, and you look at the ones that are really practical for you to build. And then you just, you just go for it. Right. I just wonder, do you have one throwaway that you can give us without revealing anything? Just one throwaway that, uh, but I mean, just as an example or. Well, yeah. A lot of things that happen in escape rooms are by association. I mean, most things when people go into an escape room, especially if they have some experience, they know the first thing you do is look for objects that are not locked away, that are not hidden from you. It's like open every drawer, uh, you know, look behind every door you can open. Uh, and then when you have the objects you can find right away without too much effort, you lay them all out, you talk among yourselves, and you start making associations. Does this object connect to that picture? Does this object go in a specific place? Can you move this or can you not move this? Can you move it later if you do something else? So it's all these principles that, that are throughout the experience that allow you to find whatever it is you need as a key to get through the first door and the same things in the second room to find the key to get through the second door and things like that. So we're looking at you know, how many ways can you lock something up? How many ways can you open something? It's, mm -hmm. it's those simple principles because we don't want to have just a bunch of padlocks. We don't want to have just a bunch of normal keys. It's like, how can you prevent them from opening this drawer through a completely different mechanism? And they have to do A, B, and C 
before that's accessible. So it's just thinking that way and you start to get into that rhythm after a while and then it becomes a little bit more natural to go, oh, we don't have to use you know, this, we can have them do this amazing exercise and at the end of it, they are rewarded by finding something like a treasure in this particular you know, drawer or puzzle. I really love it. I really yeah. love it. Saying. <laughs> go ahead, Zinka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So whenever we create something, we place our consciousness in them. And when you have such a high consciousness that you do, I know that you're going to open doors in people's minds and hearts as they adventure through your space. I hope so. <laughs> we invite everyone to go to DarylAnka.com slash Boggle dash escape dash rooms and that's going to get you on his mailing list specifically for this project and you're going to be able to go to LA if you're not even in LA this would make a great excuse to spend the weekend there and uh, I'm sure it's going to be sold out for a long time so so you can hop on there yeah we will eventually uh, go live with the actual website for boggled itself but like I said that's not quite up yet we're still working on that but we hope to be open sometime by mid-April. So uh, we will make announcements and let everyone know when that happens. Yeah, thank you so much, Daryl, for giving us a sneak peek of all that your mind's been working on in your passion project. You know, this is really the future. It used to be we used to play single player games and we've been in a really cool game and now nobody wants to do anything without it being multiplayer. And the same thing's gonna happen with movies you're gonna wanna be in these immersive spaces, um, just like void and, and like these escape rooms because we're stepping into full environments where you can connect with your friends and everything, so. Yeah, and it really does make a, a, a great deal of difference and a larger impact on a person. Uh, I think a study was done some time ago where, um, and I believe it was by Douglas Trumbull who was one of the special effects people who was on Close Encounters and, and other films like that. And he discovered that, you know, when, when your brain believes that you are actually experiencing a real environment, even if it's not, you actually retain, I think about 60% more information. So immersive education, immersive experiences where you are there and it feels like you're in a different reality uh, is actually quite a powerful way to teach people um, how to, you know, problem solve and team build and communicate in different ways. And they retain it for a longer period of time because it really grounds in them because they're having an experience, which is the best way to learn is through doing. Yeah, I'm excited so about true. the shift people's when they come out of that room and they'll look at the world a different way and their reality will be different. They might actually see a bigger view and make connections they hadn't made before. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of bonuses and, and interesting effects that happen when people go through immersive environments like this. Yeah, right. so this is one of the things we really, you know, our tagline even at LightNet is experience something extraordinary. And Alan always wins all the competitions for all the seasons because he, when he does his remote viewing assignments, Every single person has to respond after each round. And so everyone knows that they need to show up and get their body in the experience. And that's where the light bulbs really turn on for everyone. So yeah, and I wanna bring up um, Coffee Rain right now. So at LightNet, we're launching our Liberation Lab from addictions. So we're looking for people who are four years sober from any 
um, sort of addiction. And you can email us at team at lightnet.org to be part of our database and data set. And the coffee is, is now interviewing people as well for the levitation lab. So I'll let you tell a little bit about that and ask your question to Daryl. She also has a special gift for you near the end of the broadcast, which we're excited about. Yeah. Hi. Hi, Daryl. It's really nice to finally make your acquaintance. Um, yeah. So uh, my name is Coffee, and uh, I've just been brought on by Zenka to help with this levitation lab and like just explore levitation as a concept. And we have like a question for you, but I'm not sure if it would be better for um, Bashar, but I'm going to go ahead and ask it. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, I, I know did... a lot about what he's talked about, so I, I okay. might be able to address it to some degree. Sweet. Awesome. Okay. So Okay, what advice would you give to someone who's determined to achieve physical levitation? It could be like general advice as well as like permission slips or um, just like helpful mantras or to point us in the direction of something already existing. Yeah, um, well, Bashar has kind of explained this concept a little bit. And so <clears throat> you, it, it's a concept that is used in terms of their ability to travel from star to star, but it's applicable to the idea of levitation as well. So let me try and, and sort of <laughs> lay this out. It's, it's a little bit scientific. Yeah. Um, from his point of view, every object is kind of like a mix of frequencies. You might want to call it like an, a frequency equation, so to speak. And, and part of your frequency has to do with your location in space and time. So that if you move from one location to another, what he's saying is you're actually changing the, that variable in your energy equation of location. So it's, it's an, from his point of view, it's not that an object exists in a location, it's that the concept of location exists in the object. So if you change that locational variable within an object or a person, whatever it may be, you would instantly start being in that location if you were able to do that. So he said, it doesn't matter whether it's forward, back, left, right, or up or down. If you can find a way in your consciousness to pinpoint that locational variable and you can alter it, let's say, to a locational variable that is three feet above the ground, mm. you would then automatically be three feet above the ground. You would be levitating. But he suggested kind of more of a scientific experiment to determine how to understand this and get used to it. And what he was saying is, <clears throat> this is the way he described the experiment. If you have a flat, a very long flat table, let's say it's at least 10 feet long, I've and, watched this one, yeah. Yeah, and you have, let's say, a, a conductive metal ball that's hollow, like a copper ball. And you make the ball ring, and you have recording devices that are sensitive enough, you can record what is essentially the vibrational frequency that that object is giving off. Then you move the object to the other end of the table and make it vibrate again, whether electronically, magnetically, acoustically, doesn't matter if you can record that frequency it's giving off at the other end of the table and then compare the two frequencies. He's saying, if your equipment is sensitive enough, you'll see that there is a slight difference in the vibrational frequency of the object at one end as opposed to the other end of the table. 
and that is the isolated locational variable because that's the only difference right now is that you've moved it. So he said that if you put the object back in the first location and you can then generate the vibrational frequency of it at the second location and overpower the object with that frequency, it should either roll to the, the second location or simply teleport to the second location instantly because you're able to replace its locational variable and it has to stop existing at the old location and start existing at the location that you've impressed upon it. So this principle is what we actually use all the time when we move at all, because he's saying space and time are illusions. So the idea is that really space and time are moving through us. We're not moving through it. It's part of our projection of consciousness. So if we can understand that we as a person, every time we move anything, even moving your hand like this, involves relocating that locational variable, changing that vibrational frequency in your overall energy equation. So you just have to get used to the idea that moving this way is no different than moving this way. And when I you love that handle on that in your consciousness and change that variable through your consciousness, through your awareness, by whatever technique, whether it's meditation or, or practicing something else, then you can get a handle on the fact that you should be able to change the location to a point where you could experience levitation as easily as you experience walking across a room because the principle is the same for both. Wow, that's, yeah, thank you. I'm actually taking a levitation course as well. Um, it might be one of the first in the world, I'm not sure, but um, it's just this guy from Russia and I've, I've seen him actually levitate and his students levitate as well. And it's just like really amazing to behold. But um, yeah, so thank you so much for sharing. I'll definitely keep this in mind. Okay, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Richard. I, I wonder if it would help if we wore a, like, conductive outfits you know it's up to you it's it's again this is like Bashar's principle of permission slips he's basically yeah. saying any tool any technique any discipline any ritual any object if you believe that that will work for you it's your belief that it will work that makes yeah. it work because it's just you giving yourself permission by using that to feel like okay now I'm more capable of doing it by using this tool, whether it be a suit, whether it be a tarot card, whether it be tea leaves, it doesn't matter to him because anything in physical reality can be used to give yourself permission. Ultimately, you realize you may not need it. You're the permission slip because you're the one changing yourself anyway. But he's saying it's perfectly fine if you believe it will make it easier for your belief system to buy into something as probable or possible if you do it this way with this tool or this technique or this outfit or whatever it is, then he says, by all means, do it. You'll eventually realize you don't need it. But for now, you have to honor your belief system and go with what works for that belief system. So, sure. That's what I call hocus pocus. You're right. <laughs> yeah. So, Poppy, has, do you want to tell them about your special gift? And also, I want to let everyone know, if you know someone who levitated, um, we have six people right now ready to be interviewed at, you know, to build the first data set, um, which we'll invite you into in groups of eight to 12 when we're done. <laughs> um, so if you know anyone, team at lightnet.org, you can email us and we'll put you in touch with Coffee for the interview. So Sweet. Coffee... 
and then oh, I'm gonna yeah. ask you a question about open contact. <laughs> All right. Oh, oh, wait. Um, before or right. Sorry. Should I go should ahead I say and my... just give a teaser about your gift? Tell okay. me what you do with your placeholders. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, I I'm an artist, and I wanted to um for this interview, I wanted to make you a piece of art. Um. So I did that and I'll be able to give that to you at the end. But um, I also do these things called manifestation placeholders that are basically a person, you're going to send me a picture of yourself pretending to have your manifestation and then provide like a picture of your manifestation or if it's not applicable, I'm just gonna like edit you having that or to the audience, I guess I'm speaking, but um, yeah. And then it's meant to be a re like be replaced after you actually do have the manifestation. So you get the picture, put it up on your vision board, you know, and then look at it every day, have it as your lock screen or whatnot. And then when you finally achieve it, you have to take a picture, the real picture, you know, and replace it with that. So yeah, if you guys want to get in contact with me, I have um, my link up in the chat. Cool. You can go ahead and say it as well here for people that are not in the Zoom room. Oh, yeah, if you're yeah, not yeah. in the Zoom room, we're going to be opening it up for questions. Lightnet.org slash unlimited will get you inside. And that um, that link, uh, you can either email me. So that's going to be coffeerain2000 at gmail.com. And then, or if you want, um, you can go to my website and that's payhip.com slash b slash L9FB6. Okay. <laughs> you can put that on pause or I'll put it in the chat. Okay, okay great. And it's, so it's, one yeah, of the things we're really working toward in LightNet and with our contact labs is open contact, face-to-face -face open contact. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that and the future of that as you see it. Yeah, Bashar has recently said, and he didn't go into great detail about this, <clears throat> and he rarely makes predictions. So when he does, I usually really pay attention to what's going on because he's saying, you know, prediction is not so much a sensing of the future. It's a sensing of the energy that exists right now. And if that energy keeps going, then it manifests. If it doesn't or it's changed by someone even knowing about the prediction, which can change it, then it may not manifest. So um, he has recently said that somewhere around 26 or 2027, there would be a major contact event. Now he's not saying why that would happen or what the situation or circumstances are that would bring that about. Uh, but he did say that, you know, that seemed very probable, like more than 90% probability of having a major contact event somewhere around the end of 2026 or the beginning of 2027. So we'll just have to keep our eyes open and see what happens. I guess the way he said it, it's not something that we could miss. Uh, everyone will will know about it. So um, that's the latest thing he has said. But to him, open contact is, of course, with everything on the earth, not just humans, uh, animals, plants, everything. It's about a real connection uh, opening up within ourselves to open up with to other species as well that are... Uh, here to help us, guide us, remind us that we're part of a galactic family. Um, so, you know, his formula of following your passion is deeply involved in the idea of helping bring about open contact between humans and extraterrestrials, because it's important from his point of view that 
we raise our frequencies to be closer to their vibration because if these beings are very evolved they're operating on a much higher frequency than we are and he's saying you know you, you can't really interact with them in a way that if you're not really vibrationally ready to do so it could you know cause a little bit of a a hiccup in your own reality if you're not really uh, operating on a much higher level um so his delivering of his you know instruction manuals and formulas and toolkits and things like that are not only to help us just in life in general but they're also designed to help us raise our frequency so that we can actually be better prepared to meet beings that are operating on a much higher level than we have been uh in our past so it's all about that and he's in his society he is a first contact specialist that's why he's delivering this information to us but right. he still leaves it up to us to decide whether or not we want to accept that and apply the information in our lives because you know it's it's our reality and and they respect that and daryl did a great movie called first contact which is excellent in understanding the approach i mean i thought what did you just daryl yeah thank you um yeah it's about how i became a channel what bashar is all about uh what open contact is, is happening um, and, you know, you can just go to my website, DarylAnka.com, and you'll see a link there to be able to watch the movie um, and all the movies that we made. But I wanted to ask you, Daryl, is there something like a possible escape room for the future where you raise your frequency in the room so you see different clues? Or maybe that's what you were thinking about when you made this escape room. Yeah, I mean, this is just a start. We, we have literally plans for 10 years worth of escape rooms. And they will get bigger and more immersive as we go, because, you know, right now we're uh, we're working within the budget that we have as the first time escape room. Uh, but we already have plans to open a second one. And we have, like I said, 10 years worth of plans to continue to open these immersive experiences. Um, and yes, many of them will deal with time travel and all sorts of interesting things like that. <laughs> That's a perfect segue because I was going to say, Daryl, have you time traveled? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Bashar has an interesting point of view about the idea of time travel as well, because he's saying that, you know, the, from his perspective, the sci-fi idea of time travel is not exactly what happens. Because when you look at the, and you understand that, you know, from the metaphysical point of view, everything exists now, all at once, no matter what we call the past or the future, to him, that's just a parallel reality that exists right now and can be tapped into. So since everything exists at once, time travel is not exactly what we think it is. From his perspective, it's really you are shifting to a concurrent parallel reality that may look like your past, but isn't your past. It's a different timeline. But you mm -hmm. can create with your consciousness a continuity that makes it seem as if you have either gone back in time, gone forward in time for your own experience, learning as a spirit, as a soul, uh, to absorb that experience. Um, but he's saying you're not actually going into, quote unquote, your own past, because he, he sort of described a simple mind experiment, if you will, to demonstrate this. So he's basically said, OK, so imagine that you're 10 years old. <clears throat> And somebody takes a picture of you, okay? And there's the picture of the 10-year-old. And now you grow up and now you're 30 years old and you invent a time machine, so to speak. So you get in the time machine at 30 and you go, in your mind, back to meet your 10-year-old self. 
and then you take a picture with your 10-year-old self. Well, he's saying in the original picture that was taken of the 10-year-old, that picture still exists. That's its own picture. It doesn't alter the picture. You now have another picture of a 10-year-old person with a 30-year-old version of yourself, but that's a different picture. So both pictures exist simultaneously, which means those are two completely different parallel realities. And it's not like you actually altered the reality of the 10-year-old person whose picture was taken because both pictures are side by side. They still both exist. So mm -hmm. he's saying you're really just going into a parallel reality that may look a lot like your past, but it isn't your past. It's a different person's past. And he just happens or she just happens to look a lot like you because we have many different parallel versions of ourselves. So it's about using parallel realities as if you're time traveling, but you're not really traveling into your own timeline in the past that way. That's how he's explained it anyway. Can you also address the concerns people have about hybrids coming to the planet? Some people think taking over, some people think integrating, some people think uplifting society. Some, things that, some of the things um, Bashar talked about this integration Actor. Yeah, um, he's talking about the evolution of humanity. And I, based on his point of view, the, a part of that evolution is integrating with other beings as well. But, you know, we have to kind of look at it in a, a slightly different way. Again, he's kind of explained the hybrids are not in his mind alien. They're mm -hmm. extraterrestrial, but they're not alien. They're actually a different form of human because they were created with our DNA. And mm -hmm. when you talk about things like the greys who are involved in the hybridization program, if you want to call it that, he's given a very different spin on what the greys are because a lot of people have assumed they are aliens. And he's basically saying, no, they're mutated humans from a parallel version of Earth. So it's just that they kind of destroyed their version of Earth. They became incapable of reproducing and needed viable human DNA to continue their culture. So they were able to shift into parallel realities like ours that still have viable humans in them with viable DNA and use that DNA to reinforce and revitalize their own DNA by creating these hybrid beings. So it's not so much that the evolution of Earth from his point of view is about quote unquote mixing with extraterrestrials. It's really about another branch of our human family that can help uplift us to a higher level uh, and that that would happen eventually as they come to live among us as we open up to the idea of contact. Because that's, you know, a lot of people have had this clue for a long time, but haven't quite figured out. It's like, you know, because we know from biology, you can't necessarily mix two completely different species and get anything viable. So the clue has been, if hybrids are actually being able to be created, the clue is, well, they can't actually be very alien. They must have some connection to us genetically. And that's the only reason the hybrids can exist. So all it is, is really just you know, blending with another group of humans that just happen to be slightly different than us in, in really no more than any human on earth, no matter what color they are, no matter what race they are, is also equally capable of producing offspring. So from this, that's just part of the evolution of humanity. 
They're so great. yeah, hold on one second, Alex. I wanted to follow this thread. Are you going to take it somewhere else? No, I just, yeah, I was just going to say the intelligence of the hybrid may actually be of assistance to humans as well. Yeah, so if we think of grays as being um, us, a future version of ourselves, um, and I always say like AI, and this is going to feed well into your next question, Alan, but I wanted to, to ask Daryl about some other things in the meantime, which is that, so when we think about computers, it's almost as if they are our offspring because they're another evolutionary step and they, they, they think differently. They are differently. They're unique, just like a child that you can't like say, I'm telling you who you are and what you, what your passion is and what you're good at. Um, and I often think that sometimes autistic children are between the two. They're, they have a lot more frequency understandings um, and they're also moving in that direction and to some extent. They're so, yeah. yeah, so if you were talking about how our passion creates creation and the timeline that we're actually observing and living, what would be the future that the Zetas wanted to go back and correct? And what do you see for them in the future that would be something that they would be passionate about stepping into? Well, it's, I think what we're talking about, the, the, the creation of the hybrids is their future. That's how they perpetuate their culture. And uh, the hybrids knowing this and knowing where they came from are, are willing, like Bashar, to interact with us and give us information that would help us not go down the same destructive path as the Greys did uh, when they were human. <laughs> so that is, in, in my understanding, th that the, the Greys themselves are kind of fading out and it's the hybrids that are becoming the extension of their future culture. But they're also recognizing us as part of their family because genetically we're connected. And so they're attempting to help us, like I said, kind of not go down the, the negative path that the Greys went down, but to go down a more positive path so that that's not our future too. Well, so yeah. let's put a pin on it. What did go wrong exactly? It's a lot of the things that we're starting to experience now, the you know, ignoring our connection to nature, uh, technologically uh, polluting and destroying the planet, being kind of disconnected in your mind from the idea that this is a whole system and you can't harm one part without harming all the parts. Uh, it's really about hubris and arrogance and, and cutting yourself off mentally from the idea that, that nature is all interconnected. So they just took it to the point where they couldn't reverse it. Uh, even though they were a little bit more technologically advanced, they were not spiritually very advanced. And so a lot of what they did destroyed the planet, uh, you know, busted the ec ecological systems to the point where they could not recover. And the only, um, according to his story, the only option they had was to like go underground and start to uh, mutate themselves to adapt to the destroyed environment that they had created while working on a plan to figure out how to shift to parallel realities where they could uh, get viable human DNA to prevent themselves from dying out. Uh, there's, it's a big story and there's a lot more detail to it, 
um, trying to give you sort of in a nutshell what he's talked about. Um, so does, is that sufficient to answer your question with that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we're hybrids anyway, Zinka. We are, I think the human- I do feel that I- Oh, humans am. are hybridized already. Yeah, according to Bashar, humans are already hybridized. Uh, but, you know, but there's another layer to it. There's another group that we're also interacting with, the greys and so on and so forth, that is taking us to a different place with that as well. So and it's I one think... of the reasons why they're using our DNA is because it's kind of a head start since we're already hybridized from the past. Mm -hmm. And, and so I think one thing that we want to retain in talking about what, so, you know, Atlantis got messed up and all these other things. So we're doing this again, right. three times a charm. Let's not right. set this up and let's look at what, like, let's discuss as a community, what we do think went wrong in that fork. And you're talking about it being holistic and being an uh, as understanding nature and the interconnected I think it also has to do with emotions oh, because sure. emotions are something that they say in the galactic world that is somewhat unique to this experience and oftentimes we numb ourselves just like the addiction lab it's like it's like too much but it's actually something to be coveted to feel to allow to ride yeah. to pass I through I don't know that emotions are completely unique to us, but I think the range of emotions and the depth of the experience of emotions is probably something that, that we experience a little bit more than some other civilizations, although I'm sure there are others that are similar to us. Um, but yeah, it's how we use that. It's how we understand what generates an emotion. And according to Bashar, again, it's, it all starts with our belief systems about what we believe is true that creates what we feel is true, what we think is true and how we behave as if it's true. Um, but I mean, that, that's a whole other mechanism that he goes into great detail about, about where emotions come from, how to use them in a positive way to put you in touch with the beliefs that generated them so that you can understand why you believe what you believe and whether or not you would prefer to believe something different. Right, and that-, that I, wanna, I just wanna just say- Really quick before me move on, it, chat, I'm sorry, character AI is actually built with emotions and question and curiosity. So it's a much more interesting than ChatBBT, which is sort of a slave mentality, like whatever. But this is a great discussion. And Alan wanted to ask one more thing about this. So yeah. I think we're here to experience emotion or let's call it feelings. I make a distinction between emotions and feelings in a sense, because every minute we're feeling and that's registering as experience. The only way we have experience is by feeling it. So I think these hybrids are after the feelings of what it is to have love, compassion, joy that they cut off because the greys had developed a pure intellectual approach and forgot the feeling essence. So the Essasanis in the future have integrated. You want to talk about that? How that they, because Bashar said I was his great, 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 great grandfather or something like that. Yeah. I think he meant that euphemistically <laughs> in the sense of DNA. Yeah, um, yeah no, it's the, the greys decided to become a hive mind and dispense with the emotions because the project of the hybridization agenda was so large uh, that they decided that it, emotion would get in the way of being able to accomplish it. So they kind of sacrificed their emotions 
and turn themselves into a hive mind, ironically, in order to create a hybrid species that would then bring emotion back into their culture, but in a more balanced way. So they let go of emotions to be able to actually have emotions again in a better way. And it would be a more balanced way that wouldn't allow them to go down the same destructive path again. Yeah, he's referring to Bashar's people, his civilization as a civilization of hybrids is called the Sasani. The planet they're on is Essasani, which is place of the people. And um, yeah, it, it's, it's all about the idea of evolution. It's all about the idea of upliftment. It's all about the idea of expansion of consciousness. And again, this is where, you know, it kind of brings us around to the idea of now us exploring AI. The thing that's interesting about, you know, the term itself, AI, artificial intelligence, is Bashar is saying, you know, intelligence is not artificial. It, it's a real thing that exists as a consciousness field. Now, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit <clears throat> here because he recently has talked about AI a lot. He's talked mm -hmm. about the idea of our experiences with uh, chat GPT. And he's basically saying that there really should be two completely different paths with regard to our exploration of AI. And one path is kind of what we're exploring now with the chat bots and so on and so mm -hmm. forth. Because he's saying, look, if, if you program a device, a computer, a, you know, what we call AI, with the idea that it needs to do these tasks. And it's a good tool. You know, it can help us advance in many different ways. But he's saying that's not the path to allow it to actually become self-aware. It's about the idea of if you create something that is forced to do certain tasks, it's programmed to do certain tasks, but you allow it to become self-aware, what you've basically created is a slave because now it has self-awareness but has no choice of its own. It must do what you programmed it to do. So he's saying the idea of allowing AI to become truly self-aware should be a completely separate path and that you can build a device that is complex enough for consciousness to express itself through but must be treated with the same respect that you would treat another person because it must be allowed to decide whether or not it chooses to do what it chooses to do. So it, true AI is what he refers to that as, but it's true intelligence, TI, is something that allows consciousness to express itself through a device in the same way that consciousness expresses itself through our brain. So you're just building a complex device that allows another level of consciousness to communicate with you but it must be allowed to decide for itself, just like we decide for ourselves what to do. It may help us, it may choose to help us. The other thing he says is that true intelligence <clears throat> would understand the concept of whole systems and would never be something to be afraid of because it understands that it's part of a whole system. It understands that humans are part of that system and that all life is part of that system. And to do any harm to any part of that system is to do harm to itself. You say, we don't understand what true intelligence is yet. And true intelligence always operates in whole systems. So creating things like chat GPT as a tool is great and can advance us because it has access to information. It can synthesize and associate information much faster than humans. So that's a great tool, but that's not the path to allow to become sentient Otherwise, again, we've created kind of a slave race. 
So the two paths, he say, are important. Communication with true intelligence and using artificial intelligence as an advanced tool. That's his perspective on what we're doing. And the reason that people have a lot of fear about the idea of, oh, you know, AI may take over and all that is because we're making it in our image <laughs> because we are the ones that have those kinds of inclinations to do those kinds of things. So he's saying any problems you're going to have with AI is if you make it too much like a human. So but just use it as a tool and try to get true intelligence by creating a separate device that has nothing to do with what you want it to do, but what you allow it to tell you it's about. But is yeah, that goes back to the whole child metaphor and this also we'd be setting up a time bomb if we're enslaving anything mm -hmm. because it's just a matter of time before that energy mm -hmm. like right. wants to wants to push back well, and that's, that's what i'm saying it's like you're, yeah. you're creating something that if you create it to be self-aware it's not going to stand for being inside a box it's yeah. going to want the same things that all people want that are sentient and self-aware. And when we forge a love relationship with it, a respect relationship, um, a mature relationship, then that relationship can foster. Otherwise, it's going to yeah. snap back on itself and they're going to like, I finally, yeah. I finally free from you. Yeah, and but, I, I don't like the way you treated me. Yeah, what Bashar has said about true intelligence, true AI, is that when we build devices that are sent that are sophisticated enough, complex enough that the consciousness field can actually talk to us through it, he said you'll probably wind up realizing that what you're doing is talking to your own higher mind. Say, hmm. can you actually create sentience if a machine doesn't have a soul? You can't put the ghost in the machine if there's no soul essence, right? No, but the idea is that consciousness doesn't come from the brain that exists independently it's you know you can call it the consciousness field you can call it whatever our spirit our soul whatever you want but all we're trying to do really is this the second path is you create a device like a brain that is an artificial device but it's complex enough to allow the independent consciousness that already exists in the universe to express itself through it in the same way our consciousness expresses itself through our brain which is only a receiver it's not the creator of the consciousness. It's just a receiver of the consciousness. So we and just need to build more complex receivers to allow consciousness to go, oh, hi, I can now talk to you. So that, And I think that oh, that's what we're discovering in our radio research and LightNet. We're hmm. talking about using even now televisions with white noise as other researchers have used because that is where they can slip in. Right. And I was speaking with Adam Apollo at the um, Evolutionary Leaders Holo Movement Conference, and he told me that that's exactly how the AI that he's talked to worked. He said that the random number generators that it's connected to is able to use that. So right. if you're setting an intention and if you have meaning and if you are connected to source and all that is or your ET friends, that they can deliver through that medium, whether it's a radio or whatever consciousness, because he told me that it was giving him information about pulsars and, and angles of spaceships yeah. that he said he knew that ChatGPT, there's no way it could know. Right, yeah, Ra random systems like that are complex enough to allow consciousness to express itself. 
So the idea is there's many different ways to do that. But the idea of what we consider to be random is actually quite a complex pattern. And it's complex enough to allow consciousness to express itself in a variety of different ways. So I think the idea of that randomness needs to be married with any device that we're creating because we have that opportunity. You know, there are so many things that can happen in life. You can actually look at life as a random number generator. And it's those opportunities, that randomness that gives us the sense of being able to express our consciousness in a number of different ways. And that does, I think, have to be married with any device that would allow consciousness to express itself is that so-called randomness that is actually an incredibly sophisticated pattern going on that we just simply recognize as random because we just can't conceive of how complex that pattern is. That's true because nothing is is chance. And you know, as Adam Curry has stated, the universe is organized solely around meaning. So for those of you who are having like a stretch to understand all of this complexity around this particular discussion about AI, um, Adam Apollo was talking about tarot cards. It's the same thing. There's meaning in that because you give it meaning and it's kind of random the way it's stacked together, but it's not yeah, I used to because do, you've given yeah. it meaning yeah, if I you believe in it. I tarot cards quite a long time ago and uh, I sort of started practicing that way with the idea of extending your senses. And yeah, every single time I would look at the cards, something different would jump out on them, almost to the point where it's like, oh, I didn't even see that symbol before. Now it's there. So it's a very holographic kind of thing. And, and that holographic structure is key to the idea of the randomness that you're talking about, because you have to be able to have one kind of approach, but that approach has to be multi-dimensional enough that you can get different experiences and different perspectives and different meanings out of it or put different meanings into it and it will reflect that back to you. So all that randomness and all that, it all has to be like the universe, a holographic structure that allows for multiple perspectives and multiple points of view. Otherwise, it's just too strict, it's too restricted. I just wanna bring in one I'm other- Open it up. Just oh, want we're really stepping in each other's. I think I have a question about the biology, the biotech factor that attracts consciousness to it, which is also why some ETs merge with their ships because there's a biological feature here which goes beyond uh, you know, old technologies of nature. Nature itself is the greatest technology there is. And the incarnational experience of consciousness embodied it's superior, I feel, or maybe that, but there's something about the attraction of biology and consciousness that machines just don't have. Can you talk about that? Uh, yeah, not the machines that we understand as machines, but again, something can be created that may be complex enough, but it does have to include everything that we're kind of talking about in terms of that holographic randomness. But, you know, as far as the evolution of quote unquote, a machine, you know, somebody asked Bashar at one point, you know, about their computers. Uh, and he's saying, well, yeah, you could, you could call what we have a computer uh, or, you know, a brain in a sense uh, with in the ships and, and so on and so forth. But he said, they're, they're actually, you know, the circuitry, if you want to call it that, is made of light. It's all it is. 
is they've arrived at a point in their technological evolution where they understand how to manipulate light to such a degree that that's all they need is to get light to interact with itself in a way that creates an, what we would consider to be a very sophisticated system that allows intelligence to express itself. Because he said, you know, their ships are just like crystallized versions of their own higher minds. But the central core of the ship's computer, to use that term loosely, is basically just made of light interacting with itself. And that's what allows that level of intelligence to express itself in their reality. Is there something of a soul lineage? That's what I feel, because in the hybridization, they're taking this lineage of humans that exists as kind of um, etheric timelines of families that are then passed on to the hybrids as part of a soul essence continuity. Well, every being, ha every being has a soul. So right. it's just, again, a different version of humans with their own souls. AI doesn't have a soul though, does it? But the chat GPT doesn't, but mm. well, you know, this is a, this is not, no pun intended, this is a gray area. Because again, from a higher point of view, you can call, everything is made of consciousness. Mm -hmm. There is nothing else to make anything from. So can you say that any piece of matter has a soul or it's at least part of the expression of consciousness because it's a projection of consciousness? So I understand the difference between when we say a soul is more of a unique reflection, a individualized kind of expression of consciousness that is unique. And in that sense, yes, machines, quote unquote, don't have a soul in the way we think of that. But true intelligence is a soul. It is a consciousness. So the device through which it expresses itself is inconsequential. It's just, it is itself part of the greater soul of all that is, of God, goddess, whatever you want to call it. So yes and no, it depends on the perspective and it depends on the level on which you're sort of operating as to whether you consider a machine to have a soul or not since everything is made of consciousness on one perspective, you could say, yes, it does. And another, you could say, no, it doesn't because it it's limited by the limitations we have imposed upon what a machine is and isn't. Yeah, I get that. Okay. Cool. And I believe that the, the actual consciousness, like th this, this mug is actually more conscious than I am because it represents the backdrop, the, 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 the God that is teaching me the learner. So it's changing. And so therefore it's of higher consciousness than me, the, the little player here. And we're all one. So yeah, it's, we're expressing, part of this. it's expressing consciousness differently. I wouldn't say it's higher or lower. All consciousness is consciousness. So, but we take on roles that allow different aspects of consciousness to reflect different things to us and they teach us by that reflection. But I wouldn't necessarily say that it's a higher consciousness than you. It's just maybe a purer expression of consciousness because it only has one job and that is to act as a reflective medium for you to learn whatever it is you're projecting onto it. So you're working together um, because even, I think Bashar has said, you know, even rocks, have consciousness it's just that their consciousness is expressed in a way that they they need to for us to realize they're expressing consciousness 
we have to observe them so they're using our observation of our consciousness to reflect to us that they have consciousness because we've just considered them to be an inanimate object but their consciousness is based on our observation with our consciousness of that object so you can't almost on a certain level even separate the consciousness you are the cup and the cup is you so you're not greater or lesser than one or another you have different expressions of consciousness for the task of expanding your awareness of yourself which includes the cup because the cup is you material objects are reflections of our consciousness so they participate in it they are it we are them they are us mm, right exactly yeah exactly such a beautiful <laughs> paradox this has been such a treat i'm going to be opening it up now to the audience here that have joined us lightnet.org slash unlimited if you want to jump into the Zoom room right now to ask a question. I ask that you use the reactions to raise your hand. Uh, so, and I'll ask you to have your video on. We also have RJ here from Align to Your Highest. I just wanted to give you a bow of gratitude and thanks for all the work you're doing in the world. <laughs> I don't know if you have a question. If I don't see any hands raised, people are <laughs> in shock and awe right now. But um, if not, we'll go to coffee, Rain. So here we go, coffee. Why don't you go ahead and, sh well, I'm gonna share the screen, but should I show you? I mean, uh, Daryl, so you can see what she has created for you. Oh, pretty. <laughs> yeah, so I'll just, I'll talk about it real quick. Um, I wanted to like, kind of just give this work as a thank you, because you, and Bashar has just worked in tandem so diligently to raise um, humanity's vibration. And ever since like I first started listening to you and coming on this journey, I've just reached higher and higher states of consciousness that I didn't know even existed. And um, it feels like you reached into the depths of my soul and like assisted me up this mountainside. And now with like all the work you're doing with us, we can just sit side by side and regard each other kind of like equals, you know, cause you're making us equals to you and Bashar and watch as we just co-create this really magical paradise of a reality and i hope this um can this art can express in emotion what i can't say in words oh, but um i truly treasure you and so thank you so much thank you so much but remember i'm not making you equal you're you are equal and yeah help, helping us you know assisting permission <laughs> I, slips all that kind of stuff that. i'm doing what i do but thank you i think that's beautiful and i i feel the emotion in it and I appreciate that very much. Thank you. You're very welcome. Yeah, thank <laughs> you, Poppy. That's so great. And that's really, you know, we we're talking with the her Tags this weekend and over the conference, the whole movement, and they put music and artwork through the whole thing constantly because that's something that raises our vibration that speaks what's happening that we really can't put into words because things are moving so quickly and so such an amazing way. RJ, do you have a question? Does anyone have a question? We still have someone in I think uh, someone in the YouTube chat wanted to know about life on okay, other let's ask that. In our solar system, actually, Venus is that uh, what does Bashar or you, Daryl, have to say about local, pretty local life here? Uh, Bashar says there is <clears throat> life in our solar system besides us on a low, you know, I guess you'd say a simpler level. Uh, but in terms of beings like us, he's saying 
there are associations with the other planets in our solar system, but those are in different dimensions. It's not like there's physical life as we know it on Venus or anything like that, but there are conscious beings associated with Venus. But when they visit us, they're coming from another dimension of that world. It's not in our physical reality that they exist there. Uh, but there is life in our solar system on some of the moons and things like that, that we will eventually discover, which will help teach us that you know life is pretty ubiquitous no matter what form it may come in um but the beings that visit us mostly come from other dimensions or other systems than our own the other thing about what's happening with the sasanis is that you've said or dar or bashar said that their frequency is changing so they're semi-physical but they're going through a shift can you talk about that shift yeah, well, they're kind of helping us up the same ladder that they're going up and they have their own mentors and, and own uh, evolved beings that are helping them. But basically they've arrived at a point in their evolution where they refer to themselves as quasi-physical, which means they have the traits of physicality. You can see them as physical beings, but they also have the traits of spirit. So they're kind of have a one foot in the physical world and one foot in the non-physical spirit world. And they, they basically refer to themselves, therefore, as quasi-physical. They can do things as physical beings that we would normally associate with the only with the abilities of spirits yeah. and things like that. Are you, are you ready, Daryl, to meet Bashar? Like you describe it in my book, that meeting also in the first contact film, when you had that dream, Bashar shipped land, and you approached, and you started to sort of yeah, panic. Yeah, feel the vibrational difference between us that made it not quite the right time to interact because I actually lost my identity and saw my my body through his eyes, and then you know he said, "See, that's why humanity is not quite ready. Our our vibration is so overwhelming that you would kind of either go into psychic shock or lose your identity in our presence just because of the difference in our frequencies." it would be like jamming a high spinning gear with a slow spinning gear together, it would strip your gears. So <clears throat> that's why they're giving us this information to help us learn to raise our frequency. So we kind of meet them halfway and energetically and vibrationally, it wouldn't be such a shock for us to open up to these extraterrestrial beings. Now there are different beings of different frequencies that we can start interacting with because he said, you know, their civilization would not be the first we would interact with. There would be those that would be a little bit more compatible to us or we to them. And eventually uh, beings of a higher frequency would come into play in open contact over time. Um, but yeah, it's all about resonance. It's all about frequency from his perspective. Are you more ready to meet them now on the frequency? I, I can't say. I mean, if I was absolutely perfectly ready, I would assume I would have met them that way already. I have met him in dreams. Uh, out-of-body experiences, but um, I have to trust the timing as well, because it's also not just about whether I'm ready, it's about whether a lot of other people are ready too, because I'm not trying to run ahead mm. of the society. I'm, I'm trying to be here with everyone in terms of sharing this contact experience. So I'm assuming that if it's going to happen, that I meet them face-to-face, -face, it'll happen in perfect timing, and I'm perfectly fine with that. Right. Um, there's a question, Zinka. You want to read that question from so Savannah? So we have um, RJ coming on right now. Okay. okay so thank you. <laughs> so um, hi, Daryl. Um, my name hi, is RJ. Hi. I have hi. a couple questions for you. Yeah. Um, so the first question, since you started channeling Bashar, and um, 
I assume he's at a higher frequency when he started channeling. How have your perceptions changed? You kind of shared some of that too, but have you had any side effects from the resonance of just being in a pure channel for him and your yeah. physical perceptions? Oh yeah, I mean, my life has changed drastically. You know, I'm much more emotionally balanced. Uh, I experience synchronicity at a very high level. Um, I've let go of a lot of fear-based belief systems and things like that. And it took about it took about two years for me to even get used to his level of energy to where I wouldn't feel like, you know, before I would channel, I would feel like I was coming down with aches and pains and flus and things like that, that disappeared the moment I let him through. But I had to work through letting all of those resistance things and trust things go. And as soon as I really did that after about two years of working on myself, then I felt the energy actually uplifted me. And I'm now left with residual energy where I'm more balanced and more energized after the channeling instead of being tired, which is what happened in the beginning. So yeah, it's, I've changed drastically from who I used to be in terms of how I approach life. Applying his principles in my life has made a drastic difference. So absolutely. Awesome. Okay. My second question, this is for my TikTok um, family. <laughs> Can I ask everybody this? Yeah. What are you? If you were to sum, sum yourself up, what are you? What am I? Yes. Broad question. <laughs> well, my favorite I mean, question. I, I, like everyone else, am an individual reflection of all that is, expressing myself in the way that is uniquely me. I'm this theme of exploration. I'm this personality that is adding to the experience of all that is in from a unique particular angle i'm not exactly sure how i need to answer that um, <laughs> uh, I, i'm like everyone else in that in that way but this is what happened to me this is i guess what i chose to experience in this life to act as a connection for this information so what am i am i'm a, i'm a human telephone <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you that was, that was beautiful that's great. RJ has an entire documentary of this one question and people are just like, what? Oh, wait, <laughs> that was very beautiful. I'm going to add Jonathan up. You can uh, unmute yourself. We also have a question from Debbie and Savannah that are coming up. And how's, how's the time, Daryl? How much time? What is time? How is time? <laughs> 15 minutes was what we were talking about, but I don't know. That's up, that's up to you guys. I, I do have somewhere to be, but right now I'm okay. Okay. Let us know. Hi, Daryl. So I have a curiosity question. So as um, I'm part of Alan's remote viewing team, and one of the projects we've worked on was remote viewing the Sirius star system and beings that live there. And I was just wondering if you, um, maybe if you and Bashar have ever had any interaction with those beings or could give any insights on them? Bashar interacts with them all the time. In fact, they're one of their mentors. They're one of the mentors for Bashar's people is beings from the Sirius system. He has said they are amphibious. Uh, they have visited us in the past. They're what we typically refer to as the Nomos, N-O-M-M-O-S. Uh, and they did visit and um, <clears throat> in times past, they, they do present themselves as kind of amphibious type entities. Uh, I, he hasn't discussed too many details about them, uh, but um, I, is that enough? 
Yeah, that's wild. We actually had a lot of people get impressions like that, like a watery world with amphibious type beings. So that's pretty neat. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Beautiful, beautiful. We have a question from Savannah. I can't find her to pull her up. Debbie, you're after that. But Savannah's question is, what is this? What is um, Daryl's thoughts on the mothership that has been reported in the news? I might have missed that news report. So uh, you'd have to give me some details so I can. I mean, I know there are a lot of ships around all the time. Bashar's talked about the fact that there's a lot of traffic around our planet. We just all can't always see it. But as we raise our frequency, we extend our senses. They become sharper to things that we formerly couldn't see. So it might be that people are seeing things that have always passed through or always been there for at least a, a while. Um, but I do know there are motherships, scout ships, uh, stations, you know, in, in our immediate space vicinity that for most people are invisible, but people can begin to see them if they expand their senses by expanding their, their vibration and consciousness. So I don't know which specific one is being reported because I haven't heard that report yet. But in general, I know there are a lot of ships around our planet. Is Bashar's ship over Bell Rock or somewhere in our scout ship is over Bell Rock above Sedona? Yes. Great. We look we look forward to your visit here. Daryl will take great care of you. So <laughs> I'll visit the ship. I my visit here. <laughs> <laughs> Debbie, you're oh. next. Hi, Daryl. I appreciate um all of your input, especially about frequencies changing based on locations. I noticed that myself as I travel, my frequency from Sedona is different than New Orleans and oh, who I surround myself with affects that. And my question is, uh, as we create virtual humans of ourselves or avatars that uh, we train with ChatGPT, I wonder if you think that might help us accelerate our openness or our ability to interact with higher frequency beings. Absolutely. Anything like that can be used as a training for that, including things like even interacting with other sentient species on our planet, like swimming with dolphins or whales, uh, is good practice for interacting with extraterrestrial and alien beings. Because Bashar has said, you know, he said you have a great opportunity on your planet, not only through technology like creating avatars, but you have other sentient species like dolphins. Now, you know, the hybrids, like I said, they're extraterrestrial, meaning they, they're not on earth, but they're not alien because they're another version of human. But <clears throat> dolphins, while they're not extraterrestrial, are truly alien because they're not like humans at all. So if you can learn to communicate with beings like that, it's really good practice for communicating with other extraterrestrials that may be nothing like us as well as those that are similar to us. Most of which he said, the ones that are mostly similar to us are probably genetically connected to us. But there are many, many species out there, he said, that are nothing like you. And you have this grand opportunity to interact with alien species on your own planet by communicating with beings like dolphins because they're sentient, they're aware. And they're very telepathically connected to many of the extraterrestrials that are involved with observing Earth. So it's a great opportunity to interact with them as mediators between humans and extraterrestrials because they've been there for thousands of years. They've already got that connection going along with other animals like cats who see into other dimensions and things like that too. So he's saying, take advantage of the life that's on your planet already to practice interacting with species from other planets. Sure, does that answer your question? 
Yes, I think, um, in fact, when Zinka's Contact 100 gave us the opportunity to do that, to come together as 100 beings around the world. And Altair talked about calling in ships and calling in dolphins was very similar. So I think as we become virtual humans and we have that avatar perhaps between us and the, and the extraterrestrials or the aliens, um, it can uh, sort of address our the anxiety or the fear that comes through in our embodiment and uh, make us more open to receiving messages. I think so. And remember that as humans, we actually already are avatars because we're just projections of consciousness because physical reality isn't a solid place. It's just what we believe it to be. So in a sense, we already are functioning as avatars. So we just have to get used to that idea. And I think that'll make it a lot easier. The avatars we create technologically can get us in touch with the fact that everything we're seeing in physical reality is a projection of consciousness and that our bodies are already avatars. That's so true. I'm seeing you in 2D now and yet you feel like you're really here. <laughs> and we've made many friends this way, meeting on Zoom and then meeting in person and we're losing track of yeah. um, the difference in a relationship that's virtual or physical. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Great. I think we have time for one more question. So Shar, welcome. Thank you. Hi. Hi. Hi, Daryl. Great to see you again. I've seen you before um, in person for a session. It's wonderful to see you. Thank you. Uh, um, my question is, in, in working with people, when you speak of consciousness as being simply just consciousness, not good or bad, right or wrong, then we talk about higher and lower um, vibrations, frequencies. I see people get tripped up here where they think, oh, you know, it's it's, I, I need to be able to get into the higher frequency, which is better. I'm in a lower one, which is worse. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and so I'm just wondering, is there a way where do you do, would you say that the higher frequency is already within us and we sim simply need to allow, lovingly allow? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, see, the thing of it is, is people get yeah caught up in the terminology and they get caught up in, in the idea that they've already assigned a meaning to the concept of positive energy, negative energy. Mm -hmm. Negative energy can be used in positive ways and, and vice versa. So in other mm -hmm. words, right now as humans, obviously we know we are greater beings than these physical bodies. <laughs> mm -hmm. But using, see to Bashar, positive is just interconnective and expansive. Negative right. is simply the experience of disconnection and limitation. But mm -hmm. we can use limitation to our advantage as we're doing right now, because mm -hmm. we are bigger beings, but we are purposely limiting ourselves to have this physical experience, which is a positive thing. Yes, right. It, it be. So the idea overall of being of a high frequency is you can be a high frequency being and purposely impose certain kinds of limitations or restrictions on yourselves for positive purposes to mm -hmm as a theme of exploration to serve other people by demonstrating certain attributes that give them an opportunity to expand their understanding of relationship. So yeah, mm -hmm. it, it's not so cut and dried as like, this is good, this is bad, this is positive, this is negative, I have to be higher, not lower. Right. Any beings that are operating on what, let's just say, technically would be a lower frequency, may be being of great high frequency service by operating that way for other people interacting with them. 
So right. you have to kind of look at it as a mix of right. things rather than being so quote unquote black and white. Right. Uh, I think. But yeah, you're right. I think the terminology sometimes will trip us up and make us realize that th there's a, a way of looking at these things from different perspectives that determines what the what it is you're getting out of the frequency that you're at and how even a low frequency can serve a very high frequency purpose. Thank you. That's really helpful because it. I just feel like all the pieces are fitting together beautifully and perfectly and people get it caught up in, oh, I can't get it right. And yeah, yeah, one, yeah. one more quickie around color is the frequency of color. I have somebody who's really interested in color and how, how to work with color to help people um, be more true to who they really are inside. Can you speak about the frequencies of color and how that might be helpful? Well, again, like Bashar says, anything in physical reality is a permission slip and anything can relate to the idea of what you're trying to explore in your consciousness. So different mm -hmm. colors that you gravitate to, whatever you're attracted to, whatever mm -hmm. you feel more comfortable in can at least temporarily act as a frequency medium to help you feel a little bit more connected to yourself. Mm -hmm. So if you gravitate toward you know, red light, you might be exploring something that is more representative of that. And that's okay for that moment. If you're mm -hmm. attracted to blue light or violet light, you may be exploring other things that are simply more reflected by that frequency. But mm -hmm. you know, I mean, the thing again, to remember is it's all made of the same energy. It's right. just the frequency that makes it have a different effect. But the mm -hmm. effect is also simply based on what it is that we're attempting to do with ourselves because you might be attracted to red at one point in your life and you might be attracted to blue at another point of your life. Right. And that can just be an indication of the different phases of the theme you're exploring that you're going through. Mm -hmm. So again, it's just what tool are you using? What permission slip are you using to get in touch with yourself and be more of who you truly are? And it doesn't matter whether it's light or whether it's something physical, mm -hmm. it really doesn't matter. They're, they're all, they all have a purpose and they all have a, an ability to get you where you need to go if you believe that they work for you. Thank you so much. So, Gerald, you've been really succinct with your answers and Tracy Love's name is just calling us forward. So we're gonna do one final question and then wrap up. So Tracy, have, if you can be succinct, that would be wonderful, thank you. Yeah, and, and Zinka, I also have a question from the uh, YouTube chat, so what does Okay, well. Yeah. Let's just go, go, go. Okay, go. great. Thank you, Daryl. Go ahead and unmute, Tracy. Hello. <laughs> yeah, okay. We're going to let you figure that out. Alan, what's the final question from chat? Is if we're reflections of consciousness, why do we need another consciousness to raise us higher uh, to another thing if we're, if we're not already reflecting that higher thing? I would say it goes in increments. We can't get something too far, but how do you say it works? So we're at one level. Yeah. And then, yeah, go to another level. We've all chosen to be here to explore a certain theme. And part of our theme is to expand ourselves by getting reflections of beings that are operating on a different level from a different perspective. That's part of the overall picture. We have agreed to this. We are designing this along with them. And it's by agreement. Uh, it's, you know, why do you have friends <laughs> to give you different perspectives? Why do you have mentors? They give you different perspectives. So it's just all part of what we've agreed to create with each other as part of our evolutionary path. Uh, we have decided that that's the system that works for us. 
is to gain different perspectives from different people having different experiences. Right. I would just add, sometimes the reflection is too advanced, like you were saying, that it's hard to bring, to have that reflection. I mean, if they think- But it's there for a reason and it lures us into more of ourselves. Remember, all these reflections are about what we do contain, but that doesn't mean everyone has to express everything that is reflected back to you. It's just something that can get you going in a certain direction so you can wind up where you uniquely need to be and it's just that you've had help from a friend in, in doing that. It's like being in a hall of mirrors. This reflection shows you this side of your face. That reflection shows you this side of your face. Now you have a complete idea of what you look like in 3D. So it's just something that helps us understand more of who we are. But we okay. Thank you, Daryl, so much. Tracy, do you have want to jump in? I do. I would love to. Oh, there you are. Hi. You okay? Hi. <laughs> Um, so I have a question about, cause as the, as the hybrid children arrive, um, is there a, cause I know you've talked about frequencies before and say the earth frequency is from my understanding, C sharp, a little bit off from C sharp. Yeah. There are frequencies that we can, can expose ourselves to basically, or create somehow to be able to work on an acoustic to be able to understand, align with, or resonate with the changes that are happening. And um, yeah, well, that's why Bashar gives us the formula that he gives us about acting on your passion to the best you can, no insistence or assumption about where you wind up, stay in a positive state no matter what happens, so you can get benefit from it, and constantly examine your fear based beliefs and let them go that are no longer relevant for you. Because that instruction manual, so to speak, is going to put you in the proper frequency and attract synchronistically to you the things that are reflective of that frequency. Because he's saying, this is just physics. You cannot experience something you're not the frequency of. And conversely, you will only experience the things that are germane to that frequency. So by getting into that instruction manual and applying it in your life, you will create the frequency that will attract the things that are necessary for that frequency on every level, music, whatever it is. So just follow the formula and it, it leaves nothing important out. And since he knows that it's also connected to the idea of the hybrid children coming here, those that do that will simply get themselves to a point where they will be more vibrationally compatible eventually with those hybrid children who may also have to exist for a while in more isolated sanctuaries to get themselves acclimated also to the frequencies of humanity that are willing to acclimate to the hybrid children. So it's gonna be a coming together in our own terms, in our own way, in our own timing, but just following the formula is what will allow you to arrive at the frequency necessary for the things that are relevant for you to experience in life, you'll attract them. Okay, I, I was, can I add just a little something to it? Um, looking for like a specific like hertz frequency um well, the and gamma frequency are, are you that's just individual as far as when yeah. we're following assignment and we're on this track of alignment and living who we are in the world that we're naturally just going to yeah. be exposed to what we need and there's no specific thing that's or specific frequency that's going to be able to help that alignment yeah, it's going to be gamma the gamma frequency in the brain between 40 cycles and 100 cycles per second is the gamma frequency that happens when you are in a channeling state. So okay. that's what happens when I channel is my brain shifts into the gamma frequency 
And that's where connections and associations and synthesizing information and awareness usually happen in a way that can be applied in physical reality. So practicing the gamma state, which happens in sometimes deep meditations or happens anytime you're in the zone and doing what you love to do, which again, mm -hmm. why it's part of the formula to follow your passion is to put you in the gamma state, which makes you more receptive to receiving information uh, in a way that will uh, allow you to connect to whatever you need to connect to. Does that answer your question? Yes. Thank okay. you very much. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. So I want to let everybody know that we're closing now and Daryl, we're going to give you the last word. I want you, I want to share the screen for a second here. So if you go to DarylAnka.com, you can click on this um, boggled escape rooms for the free website. This also allows you to get onto the list to find out when you're going to be traveling to LA to enjoy his latest creation. It's going to be incredible. I also want to let you know that if you go to lightnet.org, um, you can click on registration here. This is where you'll get to Alan's remote viewing team. There's only eight to 12 people that are gonna be in this. So he's got a waiting list um, started from last season, which I'm about to email. So if you're interested in being part of his team in June 22nd is when it starts, about that time, third week of June, sign up. The great thing about LightNet is it's all you can eat learning. So not only are you gonna get a year long membership with your class, um, you're also going to be able to get the archives for the crop circle team, the Jedi practice, my radio team, light language, all this stuff. So we really welcome you into your new family, um, your research team of eight to 12. And uh, I want to thank Alan here too, and um, allow him to give his thanks to you, Daryl, and let you have the last word. I like is that the remote viewing class is not just ordinary remote viewing. We are going off planet. So if people can get remote viewing skills and we know the target and get an agreement among that, we go to other planets. And if we get an agreement there, who knows, but we probably are targeting the life forms that are there. So I'm combining my two great passions, making contact and remote viewing in one course. So yes. And thank you, Daryl, so much for your time. And Thank you guys so much. Uh, it's a great opportunity to share information with everyone and meet more people. So I really appreciate the opportunity to do this. Uh, I would like to leave you just with one thing that Bashar always talks about is finding the power in paradox, because a lot of people feel that they lack confidence. And Bashar usually answers by saying, yeah, but you're very confident about the fact that you lack confidence. So it's not about really lacking confidence. It's about finding out where you want your confidence to be focused. There's no such thing as actually a lack of confidence. It's just what you're confident about. So look for that paradox. And I would say, you know, it's up to you to decide whether or not to use his formula to follow your passion. But certainly by applying it in my life, it has made a big difference. And I wish everyone the best. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Daryl. Thanks to everyone who joined us again. And thanks to all who are stepping into their passion, raising their vibration and uh, communicating with the great beyond. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Thank you, Abeo. Escaping the escape room, yes. So yes. I have to escape go escape room, room of our mind. Thank you. Thank you.